Welcome to This Week in 40K, 40K. your daily dose of all things Warhammer 40,000. 40, Each day, Monday through Friday, we explore the Warhammer 40,000 tournament scene and bring you the latest news, updates, and opinions. We'll be diving into the latest developments in the 40K tournament community, discussing results from events, new releases, and upcoming events, and interviewing some of the biggest names in the world of Warhammer 40,000. So, whether you're a seasoned veteran or a newcomer to the hobby, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us as we delve into the world of 40K. Here's your host, Mufasa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to today's episode. Today we are continuing our discussion about the ITT and teams play in 40k more generally and we are joined by Pumba. Pumba is a familiar face on the UKTC scene. Many of you who have been to our events will have seen his excellent refereeing throughout the last 18 months. But Pumba is also a prominent member of the Polish national scene, both as a TO and a member of the WTC team. Pumba is bringing a Polish team to the ITT and if you've listened to yesterday's episode, from Big G, you will have heard that they were seeded first. His prediction for favourites to take home the championship at the ITT. Welcome to the show, Pumba. Hello, everybody. Nice so, to be invited. Thank you for that. You're most welcome. So, of course, everyone is going to be begging to know the answer to the first question, which I'm sure you get asked all the time. Why do people call you Pumba? Uh, that's because of my surname. Uh, I, I mean, it's a very common thing amongst uh, European players to, to have a nickname. I think it's all all began in like uh, forums and stuff like this. So it's just a custom, and because my surname literally means a warthog in Polish, uh, that was a close enough uh, connection to make to 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 be called Pumba. Yeah, of course. And now, of course, people that don't aren't aware that you know it's, it's your surname is just translated. I think it's quite an abstract name, but actually, actual fact, it's fairly simple. Um, cool. So we have that out of the way, and we can continue to reference you as a Disney character from now on. Which uh, <laughs> anyone listening to the intro of this show knows that I'm simultaneously also being referenced to one as. But we know that you are a uh, prominent member of the team Poland. Your co-captain this year is that correct? Yes, that is pretty much correct. I am the co-selector. Co-selector. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what? What does that role entail in terms of like the organizational side of things? So if you exclude the actual playing in the event. Mm, the, the national team of Poland is picked usually by a team of selectors who are also who are picked by the coordinators or you would say representatives from each city or each um, center of play in Poland. Mm, there are applications to become a selector for the national team. And I have a uh, code... It, a total team of two other uh, selectors, and our job is to pick the eight actual players who are going to uh, go to the WTC and play in the WTC, uh, as long as well as any additional coaches or staff that will come with us. Mm, that doesn't exclude us from being the uh, players also, but because there are three of us, there is always the possibility to be vetoed by the other two, of course. But it's a pretty nice way to choose a um, to choose a team that involves every community member, let's say, or um, through a democratic means. 
And what are what are the typical methods you use for selecting players? Are you primarily going off you know last twelve months tournament results? What are your sort of your first and secondary characteristics you look at when you're trying to pick your players? So we have a pretty, I would say, robust process that is focused around um, team events, team scrims that we are doing uh, very uh, regularly with other teams through TTS, through T- Tabletop Simulator, uh, which has become a tool that we use a lot of and that just gives us an opportunity to practice against other uh, European and international teams uh, without leaving the country. Mm, of course, that we have also the series of boot camps, and when uh, where we can assess players and their actual uh, player uh, play while uh, at the table. Um, there is a lot of like uh, little nuances that come into picking an actual player to come into the team. Their army choice, their adaptability to the meta, stuff like this. So the system is quite robust. Uh, I would say we barely rely on on things like singles results uh, but does uh, but like obviously if you have proven yourself to be able to win multiple tournaments in a given year that definitely um, makes us look into your direction and then we decide further if that actually translates good into team play yeah I think that's a really important point there one thing that we noted yesterday was that in Poland the tournament scene and meta tends to be more team focused and you just mentioned there that you take into account team performance as a primary metric prior to you know talking about um, individual performances so that's quite a stark difference between people's experiences in the UK you've obviously experienced more of the UK meta than, than most international people by virtue of being one of our head referees so why don't you tell us a little bit about how the Polish structure of the tournament scene differs from the structure of the UK scene in terms of not individual event formats, but sort of how the, the person, the consumer's experience might be different in a country where team events are the priority. Mm-hmm. So I think the main uh, and the biggest difference is the fact that most of our tournaments, even the single ones, uh, are played in the 20-0 differential system used by WTC. Uh, which basically means uh, winning your game is not your primary goal. Of course, it is It is kind of your primary goal, but scoring uh, points differential is more, more important, um, which means the game is uh, fundamentally played differently in the two the systems. Uh, whereas um, in the UKTC event, for example, or most of the world, you would find yourself uh, wanting to go... Um, six, eight wins, and winning is all that matters even if, it's a, even if it is a single point differential. You could probably win a tournament in Poland by losing a game um, with a, like 11 to 9 score, so that would be like a 10 points differential in actual victory points, and then smashing your opponents by completely de- demolishing them and pulling a 20-0 each every other game. So it is a completely different system of scoring that is also used in team events um, that basically gives us an opportunity to practice that um, mindset that is required to score big differentials, even if we are attending uh, singles events. And of course, there are a lot of team events going on throughout the year. And like I would say this currently the split is like half and half between team and singles events. 
that's interesting. It's a very even split in terms of the number of events, but when you compare it internationally to, for example, you know, obviously we'd compare it to the English team because it's the one most of the listeners will be familiar with. We're currently running two team events. We run, I think, 10 singles events. There's a much bigger gap when you compare it internationally as opposed to just, say, singles versus teams. But if anyone has been around the, the UK scene for long enough, there was a big step change when we went from 7th to 8th, where the majority of the scene changed from being differential scoring, as you just described, in singles play to being win-loss formats, um, which at the time was being driven hard, hard by the um, Frontline Gaming ITC events. And an interesting tangential point there is that we noticed quite a sort of changing of the guard in terms of which players were routinely in the top 10. And I wonder if there's a different skill set or um, some sort of attribute that makes that sort of play style more appealing versus the other, because there was a few names back then that are still around in the top, you know, routinely on the podium, Josh Roberts being the most obvious one, you know, he's been around forever and routinely does well. But, you know, players like Vic, David, you know, not only are they new to the game, Vic mentioned in the interview we did with him last week, he has been playing for a long time, but he's only really stepped up in terms of being, a, you know, a world a world top 10 player um, since this change has happened. So maybe there's a different mindset there. And given that, maybe that's feeding into the fact that you have been officially seeded by Big G as our favourites for the event. Um why don't you tell us a little bit about your competition? So the current top three is uh, five to four. Your Poland is the favourites. And then we have in second and third, Dice Down England, but with two to ones. Now, there are some differences there in faction choices. So, for example, uh, both Poland and England are playing Dark Angels, but, for example, the Netherlands aren't. Um your Dark Angel list is very different from the English Dark Angel list. So with lists having been revealed on Monday, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you feel like you may have the advantage over some of the other top teams? Um, the main thing about, I think, and where the differences come from is the fact that we have a very fresh meta still that has not been def- solved in any way. And also, the ITT has a very particular format of uh, no table choices or um, where every t- single table is uh, symmetrical and is the same, which translates into a quite a different um, experience uh, of playing team events that we are used to, where usually there would be a, like a light table or a heavy table to choose from. And that also dictated our army choices. Uh, we are very used to playing WTC-style uh, terrain, and that is particularly heavy, or I would lean most of the tables at least lean to the heavier side. Whereas UKTC tables are um, somewhere in between, but I would still lean on the lighter uh, than heavier in the like WTC scale. And because of that, we have decided to take like Dark Angels list that is very reliant on shooting. That is super Ravenwing, uh, like 18, that's my list actually. That's 18 Ravenwing, Ravenwing bikes, um, two times three attack bikes. That's a lot of shooting. Um, and we find that because of their incredible speed, they are able to overwhelm their opponent by just doing that. Whereas um, in other formats, perhaps, they wouldn't be able to gain the advantage of the table needed for that list to work. 
or you wouldn't be able to actually abuse the speed of those units uh, so, at the degree. So the terrain that you've mentioned you know, a few times there, obviously you're familiar with our terrain having, having roughed a number of, of the events, but you haven't played in any of them, whereas you know a lot of your competitors at this event will have been playing at them regularly. We spoke a bit about this um, yesterday in comparing you know some of Team England's players to some of Team Netherlands players. Obviously, Team Netherlands are regulars at UKTC mm-hmm. events as well. But um, of your team, I don't believe a single one of you has a single um, rep in real life on our boards. So do you feel like you're at a terrain disadvantage here or have you just played enough TTS that you feel like you've got to, got to figure it out? We are definitely at a terrain disadvantage. Uh, you cannot um, catch up into like years at this point of prep that and and play that um, some of the people like from team england has put into playing on those particular boards so we are 100 percent at a terrain disadvantage uh, but i do also believe we have uh, done a lot of preparation to uh, make that gap smaller and less significant than they do to seem at first glance uh, we have as a, you've mentioned played a lot of tds uh, most of our people also practice in real life. Some of our guys have purchased the uh, sets uh, that are very. I think this, they are identical at the stuff for uh, as the stuff used at at UKTC events. So we also have tested the, our lists on those actual tables at least once. Um, so it's not like we are coming completely blind and reliant on just our skill from other events, for example. And we are definitely prepared for that, prepping for that particular thing. Yeah, and it's you know obviously you've taken into consideration in your um, practice and preparation. Now, when you say preparation, aside from just getting reps in either in person or online, what does that actually entail for you? How do you prepare for an event such as this? So the things. First thing after uh, Arcs of Moment dropped is actually figuring out what is the five-man team comp and what the meta will be like, uh, which translates into testing a lot of different armies, a lot of different lists, and figuring out where things stand overall in our opinion. So we can figure out uh, first thing what the meta is probably going to look like so we have a good chance. And then maybe trying to go a little like a step further, and after we have our first assumptions, try to figure out if we can counter those first assumptions. Um, by which I mean we would like to instead of having like five best, t- uh, sometimes instead of taking by f- the the best five um, armies that you could probably take, you would uh, love to have. Um, five armies that counter those five other best quote-unquote armies, uh, which we are always trying to do when doing our team comms. We also are quite limited by our player base. Poland, even though we are a strong country, especially in international uh, team play, uh, our community isn't huge. So we are limited by things like... um, what army each player is able to actually bring to the table. Mm, some of this can be like uh, counteracted by people switching armies or playing an army as a faction specialist. And I have one of those in my team. He's playing Necrons, which I think is a surprise to a lot of teams that Necrons have made our uh, five-man squad. 
but the player who is playing them is an absolute beast on them, and he's extremely uh, skilled with that particular army. And I think that is also something that is important when coming into a new meta, that you have that one player, even though that army may not seem to be that strong, people are also not expecting it, um, and that gives us an edge in this case. I think you make a good point there about, you know, faction specialism is an advantage when the meta is completely unsolved because you may not be playing an optimal list, but you are playing the list you have in an optimal way. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a big advantage. I was recently speaking to uh, a leader of the German community, and he said whenever there's a significant change in the meta, he always defaults to the most resilient army he can build that can still score. And we saw when Arx had first dropped a custodies list built exactly around this concept, the Warden Spam that won um, the uprising in Australia. Now, Custodes and Dark Angel Terminators are two lists that you haven't taken. Obviously, you mentioned you've taken bikes earlier, and Custodes is not on mm-hmm. your top five. Have you not taken those for a deliberate reason? Obviously, you mentioned choosing speed over durability with Dark Angels, but is there a reason why Custodes and perhaps you know one of the other strong armies like Demons that's been going 6-0 recently are not in your lineup? Hmm. In terms of Custodes, we feel like that army, uh, which is amazing, by the way, uh, Liam Hackett, who has uh, built and piloted that army in uh, Uprising Adelaide, has done an incredible job uh, making it work. But I also feel like that particular build, which is, I believe, played by Josh from Team England uh, at the ITT, is a build that, um, let's say, heavily relies on your opponent not knowing its game plan. I think it's gaining a lot of uh, traction with the opponent not being exactly prepared for what the list is supposed to do. And when he does, I think the list might actually struggle. Uh, Especially that this list was not designed for ITT tables. Uh, It was designed for Adelaide tables, which I've seen, and they were quite um, particular with their like uh, big ruins position and the ability for those uh, huge blobs of wardens to advance. And I just don't feel like that list will function super well at the ITT tables. This is the reason why we haven't brought it. Whereas um, the the reason uh, why we are not bringing just a billion Deathwing Terminator spam uh, is I think just a sanity. check mm-hmm. for me because i would be the probably the person to, to be playing that list and let's be honest i also want to enjoy my life while playing uh, abroad and i don't think i would enjoy playing that list even though i think it is ridiculously strong i just decided against that and uh, keep me sane throughout the event <laughs> yeah i think that's a really important part of 40k generally to to enjoy your time playing because after all you know Maybe for the really big events, the LGT, LVO, WTC, you may be playing primarily to win it when you're a top player. But for you know the rest of the events throughout the year, the primary purpose we're involved in this hobby is to have fun. So I think that's a very healthy approach. Mm-hmm. That's where we are going with the Ravenwing. Yeah, feature. exactly. So uh, you touched on game planning then. Um, obviously, every army and every matchup will have a slightly different game plan. The way 40k works at the moment is obviously you tend to build around secondaries in first place. So anyone that's got an intelligent list build probably have a game plan in mind to start with. Um, but game planning often filters into your pairings in team events. So if we can talk a little bit about how you do your pairings, I often say, you know, 
two really well matched teams, it will come down to whoever gets the third pairing right. You know, so you both assume you're going to get two favorable pair pairings in the matchup. Um, how do you go around getting like the extra one that's going to you know get get you the three out of out of five wins as opposed to two out of the five? Um, so I believe there. I've been doing uh, pairings, especially in 5v5 teams, for a long time now, and I've been quite experienced with them. Of course, we approach them, first of all, uh, by preparing a matrix of pair of, of matchups uh, for everybody that, that is not aware or um, hasn't practiced a lot or attended a lot of team events. That's a matrix that you do for your armies versus your opponent's armies that dictate uh, which matchups are favorable for you, in your opinion, and which are not so you would want to dodge the matchups that you are not good at and get the ones that you think you have an advantage in. Mm. So I think the the actual pairing process is... I'm going to be frank. I think it's quite easy, uh, but the results of it are down to actual data. And the data that you've put into the matrix is going to... like I have not yet seen a situation when one of the captains will say, he has he isn't um, happy with the how the pairings went. Everybody is always every happy captain, after the yeah. pairings. Every captain yeah. always thinks they got it right, and then you finish exactly. up the round, and one of the captain has to lose. So one of them clearly didn't get it right. Exactly. Yeah. That is always the case. That is always the situation, and the difference comes down to either something uh, went wrong in the actual game because that can happen. It is forty k after all; it's a dice game. Uh, a mistake were, was made also happens, even to the best of players, or the data in the actual matrix was wrong. And that's uh, that, that data and that assumption that is put into the pairing process and into the data table also usually dictates who wins the actual round when you are talking about similar, similar uh, skilled opponents. Well, it's a super interesting point because you know, people that have been playing team events for i'd say pre-covid will have noticed that post-covid there's been a much bigger focus on data both from games workshop but also from the content creation community um stat check it used to be stat center um there's um stuff all over reddit so now we actually have the data to input into those tables and make more intelligent decisions um but you also mentioned earlier that we are an unsolved meta. We don't have the data, for example, on how your Dark Angel list will perform against a guard list or a, corn or a um, World Eaters list, for example. And a couple of the top teams, Dice Down being one, have got World Eaters in their, in their team composition. So where do you get your data from when it's, it's, it's such an unknown like that? You have, you know, for example, um, guard versus world eaters there's no data to, to draw from so where, what are you using in your pairing matrix in that instance uh if first off it's a discussion between uh many people what are their opinion their opinions and if we can deduce from our just experience with the game overall if there is a consensus of what we agree on how this pairing should go in theory and if there is not a consensus and uh, it is unknown, we usually try to play that matchup to see what how it goes. You've mentioned the, the data of, of win rates and pairings from things like um, meta reports or stat check. I think it is a big, um, it's an important addition to that, that that data is uh, mainly derived from playing singles events 
in a win or lose system. And it's a huge difference how people play, actual play on the table between scoring differentials and playing for the win. Where you would go for a very risky play sometimes, um, to give you an example, uh, in your uh, singles event to just win a game, you would sometimes lean on the more um, cautious side when playing a team event to just lose by a um, lower margin. So that data that you can always check out and, and stats that you have from uh, things like stat check or, uh, doesn't always actually translate well into the team events. I think it's uh, like a very important thing for people to realize that playing into differentials and playing for the team and playing just to win a game sometimes goes completely wrong, like differently. Interesting. So you've been looking through some of the other teams, obviously, in order to start building your matrix. So you might be familiar with some of the players, some of the, the lists they're building. If you exclude Poland from the lineup, where do you rank to say the top three? Who do you think is going to be on the podium if Poland wasn't in attendance? I think it's definitely Team England. I've known the players for a while now. Uh, they have also performed brilliantly at WTC. Uh, their lineup is very uh, strong. Incredible players overall. I think uh, Dice Down is straight up a contender to win the event as well. Uh, with Vic, with David, uh, with Boris actually coming back, which I am very excited about because um, I haven't seen him in any of the ITD events uh, for a while. But I think he is an excellent player with a lot of skill as well. Mm. Then Team Netherlands, because of course, uh, if you have one of the um, WTC teams uh, and their captains coming to the event, they are usually taking it seriously. So they will be prepared for, for many of the matchups coming up and for the other teams. Uh, yeah, I would say that's my top three picks for the for the our also our greatest opponents to face in this event. Interesting, interesting. So we you know we have a, quite a few teams coming, and I think it's going to be a an interesting weekend in terms of when people get paired into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from you know working on your lists and and going through your your pairings as we spoke about earlier, what other advice do you have for some other teams that might be coming or people that are going to other team events? Because for sure, there's going to be some of your potential competitors listening to this episode. So, what advice could you give them to uh, you know help narrow the margin between you know the, the favorites and uh, you know, the rest of the field? I would say um, the the biggest thing: uh, try to do the matrix. And you wouldn't be able to, especially without huge time investment, do a matrix against every single team attending, uh, because that's nonsense, and that's way too much time to invest. Uh, but just making the matrix even uh, on the fly sometimes, or 15 minutes before the game, um, to have your captain try to do his job as best as he can, will make your event better, will make you perform better than uh, you sh- usually should. Because just going off of um, information like, I don't want to play that, I want to play that, it's sometimes very hard for the uh, pe- person doing the parents or the captain doing the parents uh, to navigate that without uh, an actual interpretation with a good Excel spreadsheet with some colors. And uh, it can be as easy as I want to play that, I don't want to play that, I think I'm fine into that. Like three main colors uh, for each pairing for every single list 
just look, glancing through the list, seeing, I think my knights don't want to play against or this Deathwing Terminator spam, for example, and putting it as a red. That's going to be uh, fine, and that's going to make your captain way uh, happier when doing the actual pairings. So you won't come into your... T- like. Uh, it will probably also make your event better because it's going to dodge a lot of the pairings that you want, don't want to play. Um, and you never want to... Even though it is, a, it is a team event, you don't ever want to come to a table and feel that you've lost before the game has started because just you're mismatched against your opponent's army. Yeah, exactly. I think that is one of the strengths of team events and why a lot of people say they are more fun than singles events because even if your team is losing, you can still go into many matchups throughout the weekend with a feeling like you have a chance to win your game or even if you're losing your game, feeling like you're having a chance to help your team win the pairings. And I think this is... You know, people that have played in team events seem to get sold on the concept very quickly. And, you know, it's it's really showing in the growth we're seeing in events like the Birmingham Team Tournament, which is going to be our biggest event, uh, our biggest team event, rather. So the ITT is 320. Birmingham is going to be around 500 player marks. So if anyone is interested in getting involved in more team events, we have tickets to the Birmingham GT currently on sale at our website at warhammer-tournaments.com. And, of course, LGT tickets will be going up for sale this Friday at 2 p.m. Pumba, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have anything you'd like to say before we sign off? Uh, Good luck to everybody attending, and see you hopefully in a couple of days and playing some Warhammer together. Thank you very much. for a good one. Thank you for coming on, Pumba, and best of luck for yourself. Thank you very much for inviting me, and goodbye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to This Week in 40K. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to find out more about what we talked about today or to get in touch with us, be sure to visit our website at www.twi40k.com. We would also really appreciate it if you would help us spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and recommending us to all your gaming buddies. And of course, don't forget to subscribe for more great content from This Week in 40K. We'll be back next week with even more news, updates, and opinions from the world of Warhammer 40,000. Until next time, thanks for listening.